You are listening to the Higher Intelligence Podcast presented by My Working Soul. Today we're talking about corporate identity, engagement, and belonging. We begin with an essential question. Does career define a person? In a world dominated by social media and a compare-me culture, it's easy to forget that each working soul is so much more than a job title. We are all unique and multifaceted individuals with dreams, passions, and talents that extend far beyond the boundaries of any one role. Identity is an iceberg, and one's career is an extremely powerful tool to navigate the decisions of who we want to be. Through work, it's possible to find an identity, intellectual stimulation, status, and economic sustenance. Your career is not your identity, but there isn't anything wrong with deriving deep fulfillment from your work. Work can be noble and aligned with who you are and what you want in life. Ask yourself, how successful are you in aligning what you do for money and income with your values, beliefs, and motivating factors? It's not about your job title or how much money you make. It's about how you feel in the morning when you go to work. It's about the fulfillment you derive from making an impact. It's a choice. It's about the type of people you decide to engage with, the mode of engagement, and the sense of belonging you feel at home and at the office. I hope for all of you that someday you will have the opportunity to align your dreams with your income. When that happens, work truly becomes noble and life can be an integrated experience. You might still be on the journey to uncover what that purpose is for you, or perhaps you've changed your mind along the way. Personally, I consider this an eternal journey, knowing that I am also forever evolving and moving forward in life. We are all allowed to change our mind. Whatever the case, I applaud you for bravely embarking on a journey of self-discovery. Rest assured, exciting and impactful decisions lie ahead. Dr. Emoto has conducted another interesting experiment. He placed rice into three glass beakers and covered it with water. And then every day for a month, he said, thank you to one beaker. You're an idiot to the second. And the third one, he completely ignored. After one month, the rice that had been thanked began to ferment. 
giving off a strong, pleasant aroma. The rice in the second beaker turned black. And the rice that was ignored began to rot. Dr. Emoto thinks that this experiment provides an important lesson, especially with regard to how we treat children. We should take care of them, give them attention, and converse with them. Indifference does the greatest harm. Karen Kojima is the Director of People Operations at My Working Soul, with a genuine passion for growth, inclusion, and belonging. Fluent in the language of startups and high-growth industries, her ability to harmonize systems and optimize human happiness is unmatched. Our conversation serves as a blueprint, how to engage in respectful dialogue while remaining authentic. We discuss the implications of work from a generational perspective, including observations about social media trends like quiet quitting and the phenomenon of the lazy girl. We also examine our experiences of American and Japanese work culture, commenting on the impact of societal norms in influencing behavior and what is perceived as acceptable. Along the way, we discuss employee engagement as a benefit and how to reconcile collective identity with individual freedom. Today, we are super excited to be speaking with Karen Kojima, who is the CEO of Happiness here at My Working Soul. Karen, we are so excited to have you on. Welcome. Hello, hello. Thanks for having me here. For the listeners at home, I want to be completely upfront and transparent at the beginning of this conversation. I am personally biased because I absolutely adore Karen. But um, Karen, so many things to talk about today, including my working soul, you and your professional journey. But I think it would be so beautiful to explain how we know each other. You want to tell our story? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so Karina and I met, I don't know how many years ago is it, like maybe, I want to say like about five years ago now. And we were both kind of pioneering the people space within a very new industry at the time, which was the cannabis industry in California. And at the time, like it was, you know, it was about pretty much one year since it was recreationally legalized. And we sort of got to know each other through the space and networked and, you know, just started talking because, you know, we one had kind of similar names and aligned background. We were both in the people space and we're really passionate, you know, just people, people. So we got to connect and then over time cross paths in various ways. And then a few months ago, you know, we were just chatting and then she was like, hey, I'm working on this amazing thing called My Working Soul and here we are today. So that's a little bit of our, our fun backstory and I'm very grateful and glad to say that we got to connect and just one of those amazing connections that you just know off the bat you'll be really good friends for a long time. So really, you know, grateful and glad that we got to meet each other and here we are today. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, do you see why I adore this person? Because she's the most positive person that I personally have ever met in terms of like the workplace context, HR people function. And on LinkedIn, it's not all the time that you have these ideas about people that are confirmed when you meet them. But Karen is one of those people where it was more than I could have ever hoped for. 
not only is she just incredible on paper, but she's incredible as a human being. And that's why we love her. But let's talk a little bit more about our shared identity in terms of being Japanese American and also how that plays into our working style, if at all. I think that's a great question. Um, I mean, I feel like your background and like cultural identity has a lot to do with, you know, how you approach work and life in general. So my family and I, like we moved over when I was one and a half and grew up, you know, for the rest of the time in California and the US. But both of my parents were like workaholics for sure. And that's like a very common normal thing, I think, in Japan for better or for worse. And growing up, I saw my parents both like working all the time and like every now and then like I get to see them like, you know, out of work mode. But for the most part, like 90% of the time they were working one way or another, especially, you know, growing up in a different place, culture. And so, you know, working hard has been very much like a part of like the DNA. And that's like what I grew up watching. And so that translated into like school and coming into the, you know, like the workforce after graduating you know, it was just like how I knew how to best operate. And, you know, that comes with its pros and cons, of course. But, you know, I would love to hear a little bit about like how that resonates with you. And if you kind of like relate to any of that as well. I just adore talking to Karen, truly. <laughs> and, and you can tell we both have an interviewing background. Yes, love it. yes, we do. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be quite personalized. I, I wouldn't go into this type of conversation in the same way with everyone. I talk about my Japanese heritage with people when they're not of Japanese descent. It's usually a conversation in tandem with my heritage as a Filipino and as a German and as a U.S. citizen and American. And when I have an opportunity to speak with you, Karen, where we have this shared identity of being Japanese American and in California, no less, I tend to gravitate towards the challenging things for me personally in Japanese culture. And you alluded to it already when you talked about pros and cons. And mm -hmm. I think like the the concept of the Japanese salary man it is something pretty universal. And, you know, mm -hmm. for me, I can't seem to always separate those Japanese qualities all the time from American qualities or even Filipino qualities, if, you know, to use stereotype language. And then I start to think, okay, well, what is Japanese culture to me? Am I just getting four things? <laughs> but when I talk to someone who has experienced Japanese culture and, is, and, and understands it, the hardworking trait takes on a different type of meaning and context as compared to hardworking in other cultures. And the big like star asterisk I put next to hardworking in the context of Japan is silence. And before I go on about how I feel about that, like being hardworking and silent, what comes to mind for you when I say that word silent? I think it's a lot of suffering, like kind of suffering in silence is kind of what I think about, but kind of just like keeping your head down and like, you know, very much not being out and about and like, you know, sharing that out, I would say. And so I think that's also, you know, very much a different generation, but also to like a very different cultural thing as it relates to like being within the two spaces here. But yeah, I think that suffering in silence is, you know, it's not a great place for anybody, but it is a very common part of the culture there for sure. It's a double-edged sword. And often, you know, for me, I go back into history and I think about Japan 
as it was hundreds of years ago before it was open to the West. And the period of isolation during the Meiji Restoration and this obsession with, I see it as an identity complex, to use a phrase, in terms of like seeking to be good enough. And that's a very specific phraseology to say it that way. But when I say that, like trying to be good enough, does that connect with you and your understanding of Japanese culture? Yeah, very much so. Like, I think it reflects very much like this, like collectivist culture, right? Where it's like, you take a step back to make sure that this group of whatever you're a part of, whether it's like your community or your culture or your family or, you know, your work environment is like taken care of or like, you know, that they succeed over your own success, which is, I would say, almost opposite of individualistic, like culture that we have here and kind of goes against each other sometimes, I think. But at the same time, one thing that I do recognize is that there's a lot to be learned from both of those things. Like, there's so much value in being able to recognize your team or your immediate surroundings and like really helping them succeed and having more of that like servant leadership type quality, but also being an advocate for yourself as well as your team members. So I feel like it, you know, that we have a great opportunity to be a part of both of those cultures, but also be able to like take the pawn. It's an interesting place to be, but I think that's actually one of the pros for, for being in that space. I think that's so beautiful because there are some people who would look at the experience of being multicultural and there's different dialogues around diaspora or the feeling of being fractured and I know for myself, I take deep joy and pride in all of the different cultural vocabularies that I have access to and the idea that we all have the agency to choose what we want to bring with us and what we might want to de-emphasize or leave behind. Um, it's, it's incredibly empowering and in, in a society and in a cultural context and a moment where identity as a topic is so fraught lately in terms of how we define ourselves and how we see ourselves at work as in private life. It's it's beautiful to take on the empowerment of we all have choice and we all get to choose who we want to be and how we want to present ourselves. Yeah, very much true. And like one thing that also brought a little light bulb to my head was that, you know, one of the things that we were briefly talking about was just kind of like advocating for yourself. And this is something that, you know, I've kind of these like very hierarchical cultures as Japan also is. A lot of people have, you know, I would say trouble or challenges kind of advocating for themselves, especially in the workplace, like whether it's like going for promotions. And I'm curious, like, you know, does that resonate with you or is that something that comes naturally or easily or is it pretty, you know, is it a little bit harder for you? We're similar in these beautiful ways. That brings me such deep comfort. So short answer, yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I rely on my differential cultural identities to help me navigate that. So like if I was just thinking in a Japanese cultural context at work, it's about putting your head down. And I'll bring up the Japanese people that I'm intrigued by. There's a writer named Yukio Mishima. And he was up for, I believe, like the Nobel Prize for Literature. You know, it's it's rumored that an elder came up to him and said, hey, you know, so-and-so deserves that award and we actually really need you to step down. And he did. And this is a rebellious figure in Japanese culture. So I've always gravitated towards the exceptions, so to speak, that negated things 
And Yukio Mishima as a figure negated so much of Japanese culture. I'm pretty sure he was what was known as a draft dodger. He had a wife, but he identified for a point of his life as homosexual. So there's like different pieces of, you know, I'll call them restrictive cultures that offer opportunities to expand. So if I'm thinking like, oh, I'm, I'm Japanese, I should put my head down and not be overly interested in promoting myself. But then I'll find something in history like, well, that person didn't do it and that person's Japanese. Or I'll go to the Philippines and I'll think about that cultural context of like being very proud of yourself and proud of your family members. But even in Filipino culture, there's an attitude of self-effacement. I look at these different cultures as an American, as a U.S. citizen, and I think, how do I really want to present myself? Like I see it when I watch someone like my mom not be able to accept a compliment. And I just go, oh, that's weird. I don't want to be like that all the time. Those are great examples too. I love that you have diverse cultural background as well, because I feel like you add even more color to like what we're talking about from different lenses. So that makes it even like more fascinating. I think I can very much relate. It can be hard to take a compliment or being super shy when you're like in the spotlight. And I think this is very different, whatever your background is and your personality and all those things too, because no one really tells you like, you know, you're Asian, so you have to be like this. No one overtly says that. You just kind of pick up those things over time. You know, there's also personality differences, but it is interesting to me to see that trend, especially, I think, specifically in Asian women leaders in the workplace. Like, I, you know, I think it's a muscle that you need to work out and practice. Definitely working on that. And I, I get a lot of practice with Kareen of giving each other great compliments around just like, hey, like, you did this super well, or like, this looked really great. And us, you know, being shy of receiving the compliment, but being like, okay, here's an emoji, you know? <laughs> so... <laughs> Yes, yes. And we've been talking recently about a potential client that is a Japanese company with a predominantly Japanese origin team. Thinking about when we're coming from a work perspective of optimizing worker happiness, when we know from virtue of our own cultural backgrounds how there is an associated feeling of not being able to advocate for oneself, and now we're looking at it from a client perspective of, okay, how can we optimize work for this type of employee population? What are the markers that you would identify being of Japanese descent yourself that would be so important and specific to a predominantly, I'm going to say Japanese American employee population? So I think there's multiple layers to it, but I think especially for a Japanese American workforce that is located in the U.S., this is really interesting because it's like multifaceted, but I think traditionally a lot of Japanese companies really put an emphasis on productivity as the basis, which doesn't necessarily equal employee engagement or happiness. It's kind of like, how productive can we be and how like efficient can we be? I'm sure you at some point you've probably heard the word like Kaizen, right? Where it's like the continual improvement of processes so that it's efficient, it's effective, and it's very much like time is money kind of mentality, right? But I'm very much seeing also as like a trend, like the newer generation of new Japanese workers and things like that. I think, you know, we're very similar in that a lot of people are like, you know, I don't love this. And 
there's a lot more emphasis on things like work-life balance or engagement and like doing work that, you know, you find fulfilling. And also, you know, work-life balance in the sense of like, you know, not just having work and having life, but things that are very pivotal in someone's life, like childbirth, childcare, etc. Those things are becoming more and more important as our work and life blends together a little bit more. And so I think, especially now, I think the more overall benefits and things like that are a lot more important. They're still a little bit behind in terms of like, you know, mental wellness and programs of that nature within the corporate environment. But there's a lot more being done around like overall health and wellness of the folks there. So it's interesting to see like what things will be, especially now that we're, you know, a lot more remote and things like that. But a lot of cool trends in terms of like moving forward around benefits and wellness and hopefully we'll see more like mental wellness things in the future too. What a beautiful and well-balanced response truly and um, it's interesting because there are certain parallels that we could discuss between what you just described as the hallmarks of a Japanese work culture and contrast that with American work culture. There's a lot of similarities because I, I would identify both as very hardworking cultures. The interesting thing, though, and I say this as a card-carrying U.S. citizen American, I venture to say Americans tend to be a lot more outspoken, and then and then I kind of catch myself a little bit because we're both card-carrying millennials. And it's interesting. I actually see this silence theme resonating in our generation. Do you agree with that? Do you see that as well? Yeah, I think so. Like, I mean, I will say in terms of probably the last 10, 15, 20 years, like, I think there's more dialogue around it. But I think that silence piece is very much like kind of keeping your head down and going with the course of life or what you feel like you need to do. And I think our generation is very much also like, hey, like we're doing these things, but we're also recognizing and also speaking out a little bit more that it either doesn't make sense or this isn't really fulfilling or, you know, you want a little bit something more out of life than just working like 60, 80 hours a week, which is, you know, it's a part of life, but that's also fair to want, I think. So I'm excited to see where this progresses in the sense of like, how does that really affect, you know, workplace engagement and workplaces? Because, you know, a lot of the more progressive, like in the sense of like, you know, just moving really quickly forward companies that have a very high engagement population, I always see that they have very comprehensive benefits and things like, you know, they'll pay for your lunches every day, or they have a great on-site cafeteria Or, you know, these are kind of like fringe benefits, right? But it can go from just lunches to adoption support or legal support or kind of these additional areas that really go above and beyond the traditional benefits package that you generally see most everywhere. And instead of just meeting the the general standard, they actually do go above and beyond so that they can get great talent and things like that. So it really opens up and makes it a little bit more competitive. But, you know, considering how much time each person really does spend within that workspace, like, it's great to see that a lot of companies are also recognizing, like, hey, it's great when we do offer these things because they can concentrate on work better instead of, like, oh, what am I going to do for dinner? Or, you know, who's going to pick up the kids? Or, like, you know, things like that. So it kind of takes a little bit of that strain away. 
which is really awesome to see. So what you described is so essential in terms of making a connection and engaging with your employees, really trying to understand what's the formula to their happiness. And that's going to be different from organization to organization. And you and I have both seen it throughout our careers. There's differential rewards packages. The gap that I see, and this is why I'm the one with the controversial statements, you're the one that makes it all nice and happy, but controversial statement number one, and I only say it not to be provocative, but to be solutions oriented is there's a gap still. And I identify that gap as communication. And part of what we together do at My Working Soul is we can talk to people strategically about what the rewards packages are, how they should be designed. We have really cool offerings like our conscious office and conscious life suite that speak to those ancillary concerns that are a part of life, like childcare, like, well, how do I sign up for this XYZ mutual fund? And there's so many schools of thought in terms of, well, is there a boundary between personal and professional life and where does that come in? And those are all important conversations and discussions that do need to be had. The value of my working soul and working with someone like Karen, someone like me, is that we identify that communication gap because you can have every suite of benefit imaginable, but if you can't make that direct connection and link it to that person, then there's no expression of value. And that value has a tendency to get lost, especially when you're dealing with like a full-time job and there's all these business concerns. And so it's interesting how much money is invested in all of these different ways to make people happy. Um, and yet having a conversation and really making sure that we communicate the value, that tends to be the part of the equation that's lost. And that's yes. the number one trend that I see. Speak on that, please. Like where have you, oh, yes, have you ever absolutely. seen it? <laughs> I see that all the time. So, you know, I've, I've been a recruiter, I've been in HR and like everything in between, but I see that happen so often, especially when you're recruiting, like you see that problem quite often because most places will have some sort of like a benefit summary plan or something like that. So you can like send it over to the person receiving it, who's considering the job and the company. But, you know, sometimes it's not very well communicated in terms of what the full extent of benefits are, especially from like a financial perspective. There's things like your total compensation, which encompasses like not just your base salary, but also these other, you know, additional benefits. Sometimes they're financial, sometimes they're more like quality of life improvements, etc. But there's a lot of great softwares and tools that I think have really like capitalized on this communication gap in terms of really helping people visualize like what that total rewards package looks like. And it's really great because, you know, in comparison to my experiences, you know, when you do have a really great visual of like, here's what your total compensation includes on a sheet of paper that just says like, you know, here's a couple bullet points versus like visually seeing everything and like really getting an understanding of like what that is, what the investment looks like. Your likelihood of like people actually accepting the job goes up pretty significantly because you're able to communicate the value of the investment a company is putting towards you, you know, beforehand. The other thing is like, you know, it doesn't always have to be fancy benefits and things like that. Engagement goes beyond benefits. That's just like one small example, right? Because, you know, how many times have there been opportunities where we do things for free because you're really passionate about doing something or you want to learn or you're with the right people? So, you know, engagement is such a, you know, I, I love talking about it and just like really being in that space because there's so much more that goes into it. And there's a lot of ways that 
you know, companies can set people up for success so that they feel engaged and like the work that they're doing is fulfilling. And of course, like there's so much more that we can go into, but just in a nutshell, I think there's a lot of great industry trends around engagement. And I really appreciate that a lot of companies are focusing more on engagement and that's actually going to be kind of like, I like to call it the Netflix versus Blockbuster of you need to adapt or you'll get eaten kind of a mentality where I'm glad to see a lot of companies are adapting to that because you'll notice that, you know, kind of these more like older traditional companies with like the old corporate structure and like the very strict nine to five, you know, they have a harder time recruiting people because they haven't kept up with the industry. So yeah. Have you noticed anything like that too? Yes. And I mean, bravo, because you drew a line beautifully in terms of answering the question, why does this matter? Um, because a lot of people hear employee happiness and they're like, well, what is that? Have, how much money is that going to cost and how much money is it going to bring in? And we can make that value calculation. And there are other people that are much more qualified at the math side of things that will give <laughs> you <laughs> what the total is. But to underscore your point in terms of why, why does engagement matter? Why should organizations invest in this? Why should individuals invest in this? Because we do support individuals as well. And the answer is it's limitless because once you understand the value of being really engaged, a host of possibilities opens to you in terms of mm -hmm. motivation to do that extra hour. Not that anyone's forcing you to do it, but you're honestly so engaged in the mission and the team spirit that you hang on because you see where we're driving together. And in a landscape where unfortunately there's so much lack of trust between workers and employers, I find it tantamount the most significant and important thing that someone can do to accelerate their success individually or as an organization is to connect and engage with your workforce and or yourself so you can really optimize the production. Hey, there's that Japan coming out. That production mentality. And like, I'm a perfectionist too. You know, I don't want to speak on necessarily uh, paint with a broad brush here, but like one, one cultural commentary about Japan and Japanese culture is how amazing the mimicry can be in terms of imitating technologies and optimizing them. Japan, you know, does invent a lot of things, but they're most well known for optimizing something that already exists and like going above and beyond like like the best example I can provide is probably like a pen which is just like you know they like they didn't necessarily invent the pen but Japan is very now well known for like stationaries because they put in like you know almost like an aggressive amount of like technology into your standard pen so that it's like ergonomic and like writes beautifully writes underwater I don't know like something crazy like that but you know, they do that too. They, they really go in, in deep um, and optimize things. And like, that's why Kaizen as like a process improvement thing is so popular, especially in like, you know, manufacturing or anything that has like a bazillion steps. They're really big on that. And so, yeah, they're very well known for that, um, rightfully so. But yeah, that's very much a uh, very unique Japanese cultural thing. Yes. And as two, <laughs> as two Japanese people, I think we can say with some authority here, that we take that attitude to, to what is known as human resources, people operations. We see what something is. It, it's a pen today. 
is going to be an ergonomically sound writing like superstar instrument tomorrow. And I love that. I love that. You know, the other interesting thing that I'd love to talk about with you is is burnout, which some would see as the diametric opposite to happiness. So like just starting with that key term burnout, what does that mean to you? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. And I love talking about it because I think it is good to have dialogue around and see also that you're not suffering alone, kind of bringing it back to our earlier thing. But I also think that it's very much like a byproduct of being in this like hustle culture. And so burnout, you know, generally, at least in my definition, has a lot to do with like, you know, you are so overextended that you cannot, you're like, you know, you're physically either just like not able to like keep up with the pace of things of how it used to be. Usually that, you know, in my, in my experiences, that comes from just like overburdening yourself with like, you're like, I'm going to do all 10 projects by three in three months or something crazy like that. And I'm sure a lot of HR, anyone who, you know, it has to wear very like multiple hats can very much relate to working in high growth environments or, you know, anything that causes you to really go and expand beyond your one human like capacity can very much often lead to burnout and it's not a great place to be like it's really rough like I think it's a very like it's a holistic experience of mental emotional and physical like breakdown where I think the best analogy is almost like where you have your car and you haven't taken it in to like go get your oil change for let's say like a year or two or however long it is right? <laughs> and I'm like I know we all probably need to go change our oil but let's say that happens and then like you know your car just like stops in the middle of the freeway this has actually happened to me before oh, and Karen. you can't move forward <laughs> right? literally and like yeah. literally like actually literally and uh your car doesn't move and you're stuck there and you're like wow and then you're contemplating your life choices like oh maybe I should have like made the appointment to go do the oil change a few months ago. So existential, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like, it makes sense. Yeah, you immediately think, you think about your, like, existence and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I think especially coming out of this post-COVID world, like, it was a very real experience for so, so many people. And so, yeah, I think it's great. It's important to talk about because it goes very hand-in-hand hand with engagement and with the workplace. But have you ever experienced burnout? I have experienced burnout, and I often like to think about it on different levels. So, like, what does burnout mean at the executive level, at the senior management level, at the individual contributor level? And I look at it using those differential lenses because as a leader, it's my role and my purpose to also be identifying when other people are at that burnout level or when they're close to it because we want to prevent them from ever even getting there. So I've seen it as an observer, you know, from an HR perspective, also from a manager direct report perspective. And then for myself, you know, I'll be completely honest. I personally have to tell myself, hey, are you burned out right now? Because I love what I do so, so much. And and it's really tempting to, when you have an entrepreneurial mindset, to take everything, even a hobby, and turn it into a business. A couple of years back before the burnout, like the hardcore burnout stage, like there was some sort of calm in the chaos of the work I was doing. So like work felt calm. 
overcome in a sense to be doing something that you're like okay there's like a clear like beginning and end but I think one of the biggest journeys I've had like throughout COVID and like navigating after burnout was really untying my identity from being like a worker or an HR person or recruiter whatever my job title was from the work that I was doing and being like you know my productivity does not equal like who I am as a person or like your worth and things like that that you know kind of get very tied up together it's really hard to undo and it comes back in different ways but that's actually been a huge key to helping unlock I think being able to like properly rest and that has a lot to do with like you know taking accountability for myself and being like okay I'm not taking care of myself very well like what are things you can do etc it's very hard to rest when you're like I don't like puzzles I don't like you know (laughs) the coloring books are pissing me off so I totally get that I feel you yes and identity and understanding that you know, one's worth and one's value does not equate to the job title you have or how much money you're Mm -hmm. making. And I'm sure so many people listening right now can resonate with that. And that brings me to the next topic that I'd I'd love to try your ear on here because we have these, I don't like to call them trends (laughs) because I hope they're not, but I think they are trends. Like there's these Instagram labels, there's the quiet quitting phenomenon, and then there's, I think it's called lazy girl phenomenon. But what are your thoughts on both of those phenomena right now? And how does it, how does it connect to burnout? These, these concepts. I think both of those things are actually a byproduct of how common burnout has become, and that's kind of the response. So I think both of them have a lot to do with like, you know, burnout as a whole, but burnout specifically coming from years and years and generations of people feeling like they're getting taken advantage of and in the sense of like your compensation versus the time you're putting in versus being really like taken advantage of and not feeling like they're putting in does not equal what they're receiving from whatever their employer is. But this is like very, you know, generational trends, right? So I think it's a very much a response to that. And I think it's actually really interesting to see it on like TikTok or Instagram or whatever, because if you really do kind of like see some of the content around it, like one thing that I remember seeing was like there was someone who was considered like a top performer or a very high performer, got really good feedback. And after not really receiving a performance bonus increase, did an average job for the rest of the time. And, you know, average is not a bad thing. Like average is great and it's like keeps things going. And so he adjusted his work performance to match his compensation. And then later on, like had a conversation with his manager and team And they were just like, you know, we noticed that you're not performing as high as you used to. And he gave an extremely logical, you know, reasoning for why he was doing so. And, you know, they were kind of just in shock because that's a very intentional thing that you need to do. There's nothing you can really argue to that either. It's like, it was, um, I, I thought it was really, you know, interesting to see that. But I very much think it's like a, a social response to what's been happening for a really long time. So I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes. And like, I want, you know, I, I find it interesting to see that's the direction we're headed. But yeah, how do you kind of like resonate with some of those, like the, the content around that right now? 
I honor everything that you just said to the nth degree, and I'm going to call you the sun one more time. You had a very non-controversial statement to that, explaining where that might root from. And you're very, in my words, I'm going to use these words, I find you to be very charitable. With honoring that perspective as also a card-carrying millennial who has experienced burnout in multiple contexts, I find it personally so inauthentic and quite frankly disrespectful to act in that way. And I say this as a, you know, as someone who's been an entrepreneur, a small business owner, who's recruited for a lot of different organizations. And I say this with all the respect and honor to the people that don't feel appreciated. Yes, that happens. Don't feel like they're being upskilled or prioritized. They feel unappreciated and they are absolutely not happy. And I honor that. But I also really believe in being who you are. And I'm a hard worker. I can't even fathom a reality where I would decidedly diminish my natural hard work. I don't think that I could ever even take on a job that I wasn't feeling connected to. That's kind of the part that gets me is I feel like, yes, that person's intentional and they're exercising their right and their capacity to be who they want to be. But I'm always like, just be yourself. And if you're a hard worker and you contribute value, contribute value. And then I use the word disrespectful because you know, raised in a capitalist society. I'm a, I'm a card-carrying capitalist as well, just by virtue of, you know, having an LLC and being in business. And, you know, I, I feel like if somebody doesn't like the environment that they're in, the respectful thing for them to do for themselves and for the employer is to say, listen, I don't like it here. I want to go to a place where I'm going to be appreciated. And, you know, that's how I get... <laughs> kind of how I get people to go to (laughs) other places as a recruiter. And I I feel like that is such a a more free relationship with more agency for both sides of the coin compared to, you know what, I don't even want to have a conversation. I'm just going to quiet quit. And last thing here, because you talked about some of the content you've seen, and I'd love to have you expand on that. I'm not really on social media, but I've seen like one where it's this like this person and they seem very pleased with themselves. (laughs) And they're like, they're, they're doing like the, the narration, like the TikTok mm-hmm. narration on the side. And it goes, I was at work and they don't appreciate me. So you know what I do? Go to sleep. And then it's like, cut to like <laughs> sleeping. And I'm just like, uh, is this really like the message that you want to put out there mm-hmm. about yourself? You know, what do you think? I do agree that professionalism and like, you know, acting and communicating with respect the the disrespect you feel also just kind of goes to show your character in terms of how you like to conduct communication that of course is very you know differs across generations and people but Mm -hmm. I think it actually has a lot also it's like quiet quitting is essentially equivalent to ghosting and dating in my opinion and that has a lot to do with each person's like communication right like because there's people who are like I want to be treated the way like I want to treat other people the way that you know, like that I would like to treat, be treated. So those are the people that are like, hey, like, let me communicate. I'm not happy or I'm not doing great. Like, this is what I like to do, etc. And then there's like the folks that, you know, might be more of a ghoster and they're just like, I don't really want to deal with this and I'm just going to let it slide, right? So I do think that the quiet quitting is very equivalent to ghosting of this generation. And, you know, it's a it's an interesting trend that I hope is, you know, there's more clear communication on both parts. And by all means, like you are more like, I think it's great to be like, hey, I'm not feeling it. 
I'm going to look for something else or take a break or whatever it is. And like, I do think that that definitely gives the person more, more agency to do what they want to do with their time. Yes. And ladies and gentlemen, this is why Karen is a master <laughs> and why we work really well together as a pair. Yes, yes we do. Yeah. We bounce yeah. off each other pretty well. <laughs> We do. And, and, you know, for my working soul being that we, we care about the working souls of employees, workers, and also we care about the working souls of the employers and the organizations and finding strategies to get both parties to communicate and, you know, resonating with the generational aspect of it. It, it does sadden me that I, I feel that a lot of our generation and, you know, I venture to say also Gen Z and successive generations, I think that you know, especially with the advent of artificial intelligence, there is a de-emphasis on being able to communicate in a dialogue format. And that's so different than other generations. And I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in terms of innovation, appreciating diverse communication styles. Like there's such positive things for AI in terms of enabling people who might have lost the, the gifts of hearing or speech and enabling them to communicate with us. I think there's so many positivities there, but I also care about retaining the value of direct face-to-face -face communication. And I want to together be a part of destigmatizing coming together. It doesn't mean compromising how one feels. Like, for example, Karen and I, we're kind of on opposite sides of this issue, but it's great because we talk about it we think about, well, what's the common element? The common element is the need for everyone to be heard and finding a strategy of communication. Maybe it's indirect text message. Some people <laughs> really like that. You know, other question before we kind of wrap this up, talk about Mindful Threads Collective, ghosting. I, I, love, I love that connection you made there. And this is a bit of an aside, but is ghosting ever a good thing? I think it's very much one of those gray area things because, for example, the like it's here's the example where it's like it's maybe okay is like you know if you're talking with someone and they're not very you know maybe they don't have the most logical or like realistic responses or are like volatile and you're just like the best thing to do is maybe just like leave this person alone because they're not responding to the logical like hey I'm not doing this or this is not working for me very well and I think a lot of ghosting happens because of that like anticipation of bad response or like not wanting to confront it it's like pass it's very passive right but I think it has a lot to do with just like kind of wanting to avoid conflict and like one thing I, all I read this somewhere but essentially kind of like that millennial and beyond generation are we're more texters than we are like hey let's have a face-to-face -face meeting about this so that really affects work life dating life etc and it's really interesting to kind of see those like differences and like how they show up in the way that like we communicate in all these different ways you are so much more pragmatic than I am because for me, I honestly can't stand this about, you know, generation millennium and beyond. I love that phrase because I just, I'm a direct communicator. I fall under that group of, you know, say it, say it like you mean it, you know, to quote Wendy mm -hmm. Williams, one of my faves. Uh, and, you know, I just, I feel like there's so many opportunities that get missed for other mediums mm -hmm. and, yeah. and, you know, but I'm going to give some like room to because I'm a bad texter and that's why I rely on people. <laughs> I rely on people like, Hey, Kareem, like, what are you doing? Because I don't like to be on my phone. I like to be present mm -hmm. in the interaction that I'm in. And, 
there's nothing wrong with my approach or other people's approach, but how are we going to understand if we don't talk to each other about it? And that's mm -hmm. the gap that sometimes I feel like our generation, it might work well, like from millennial to millennial, because we have context. But when we're going to millennial to Gen X, <laughs> whatever they are, uh, or boomer, that's where it's like, you know, there's really only one way out of this tunnel that we're in together. And it's mm -hmm. by holding hands yeah very like <laughs> important thing that like you know it's always so funny because there's so many LinkedIn articles about like generational communication right but I think that's actually such a valuable asset in terms of like skills and being like you know when when a job description it says like can communicate with all levels of the organization like it's very much adapting your communication style to not only each person but like kind of those like generational differences and like if you can understand how to do that, that's such a valuable skill to have because essentially you're speaking in like, you know, various languages to meet these different folks. So like, yeah, it's, it's a, uh, I'm curious to see how it like evolves over time, but yeah, there's so yes. many damn LinkedIn articles about it. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so to button that up, so to speak, I really, really appreciate how we're talking about coming together in all aspects. And you, I'm tempted to go into predictive index and DISC mm -hmm. in terms of cultivating new vocabularies and languages in the workforce, which is another thing My Working Soul does. But let's cut over to Mindful Threads Collective, mm -hmm. which... Ladies and gentlemen, just to cue this up, Mindful Threads Collective is a really amazing brand created by Karen, and it's part of the reason why I respect her so much is not only is she the CEO of happiness for My Working Soul, also comma everywhere, but also she's an executive and she's a business owner with Mindful Threads Collective. So Karen, giving us a, a cursory glance because it's so amazing, what is Mindful mm -hmm. Threads Collective and what is it about? Yeah. Thank you for queuing it up super nicely, but it's also great that we, everything we talked about really kind of transitions nicely into this because everything we talked about from engagement to burnout to wellness and all of that really is kind of what I put my heart and soul into Mindful Threads Collective. It's a lovely little apparel brand that I made over the time after I was burnt out. So it's like, you know, it kind of really falls into what we've been talking about. But the designs and the brand, um, all of it is really inspired by creating more, you know, inspiring more joy through just, you know, a small way of wearing what, what you're wearing and spreading joy throughout whatever community spaces you're in and also giving back. And so every purchase, a percentage of that is donated to a charity of the quarter and just clothing with a message and really just spreading the joy especially in this world where burnout and things like that can happen very often and just really advocating that wellness is a priority. It's definitely not something that should be, you know, taken lightly and just finding different ways to really incorporate that into your life. So mindfulthreadscollective.com and feel free to check it out. Love it. Love it. And yeah. What a beautiful way to sum up this conversation, the first of many here on Higher Intelligence. Yes. So thank you for listening and we will see you next time. This experiment conducted with rice by Dr. Masaru Emoto demonstrates that words and intention, engagement, has a strong impact 
on outcomes and results. This experiment illustrates the significance of engagement as a key facet of a successful work culture. Yes, we risk an incredible amount when we engage with others. Whether we are a candidate, an organization, or a hiring manager, it takes effort to meet someone where they are and truly put in the work of getting to know a fellow human being. Engagement is a huge component of employee experience and plays a large role in how employees perceive their employer. Negative engagement or simply a lack of engagement overall can lead to feelings of isolation and alienation, perhaps even a negative association with the entire team. This is why it's crucial to make that effort, start a conversation, and include your voice in the negotiation of your own corporate identity. In a hiring process, it's so important to foster an inclusive and safe environment where stakeholders feel comfortable to share their authentic assessment of candidates in a manner that is conducive to the requirements of the position and the needs of the overall business. Continuous interview coaching and workshops in corporate communications support the development of functional vocabulary that effectively conveys essential messages in a respectful fashion. Recognizing the potential bias that all humans are susceptible to, probing questions and insights to be gained from coaching allow for thoughtful reflection of the impact of one's actions leading to increased emotional intelligence at every level of an organization. For individuals at work, your job is not who you are, and the amount of money you make doesn't define you. We don't need to feel completely happy or even satisfied with where we are today in our career to feel satisfied in our overall existence. We don't need to identify with how we currently obtain income, but we can be grateful and we can dream. We might try engaging in small, manageable ways to work towards the dream that aligns with our desired standard of living and quality of life. We are all allowed to be flexible, and depending on our own boundaries, possibilities can be limitless. With that said, it's important to recognize that no one is coming to change your life except yourself. It seems glamorous to have a fancy job title and earn a lot of money to gain recognition and status for whatever you're doing at the moment. In reality, success is not glamorous, and it requires a lot of hard work. Sometimes you will even work for free, with no guarantee of anything in return. We all must work, so if you're not feeling recognized or fulfilled with where you're at, stop waiting. Don't spend another day working towards something you don't believe in. Create the life you want, emotionally engage with the existence you want, and invest in the effort it takes to get there. We all start from different places. The important thing is to begin. This has been Higher Intelligence, a podcast presented by My Work and Soul. See you next time. Learn more about My Work and Soul by visiting myworkandsoul.com And don't miss an episode. Subscribe to the show on YouTube and follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook.